I just hope that all of these artists uh, will come back from the war uh, safe and alive uh, and will proceed to push our culture forward. Hey, streamers and dreamers, we're back after our summer break. I'm Otto Kent, and yes, you're listening to The Week by Telecom Electronic Beats. It's Thursday, August 31st, and this is your weekly update on music, culture, and what's next. Earlier this summer, we passed a grim anniversary. The war in Ukraine has passed the one and a half year mark. The Russian invasion has had a global impact, displacing millions of people living in Ukraine and causing the cost of everything from gas to grain to skyrocket worldwide. But these geopolitical consequences occur on top of the direct effects on the day-to-day lives and futures of Ukrainians, those who stayed, those who are fighting on the front lines, and those who continue to support the country from abroad. And that includes members of the vibrant electronic music community in Ukraine. We know that music can be political, even the electronic kind. And as the conflict continues, Ukrainian musicians are grappling with their identities and place in a changing world. Whether releasing compilations, organizing benefits, participating in protests, and more, Ukrainians have seized this moment as the world watches to communicate their ideologies on the conflict and their unique cultural perspective. Human Margarita, a.k.a. Margareta Efi, is a DJ, promoter, and producer based in Kiev, Ukraine. She's been outspoken in building awareness about the war, while at the same time highlighting and speaking out on behalf of Ukraine's electronic music communities. Margareta was in Berlin recently, and I spoke to her about the ways the Ukrainian scene has evolved during the war. Human Margarita, thank you for joining us in the office today. Hello. Yeah, thank you. It sounds like you had quite a journey getting here, getting to Berlin this weekend. Oh, yeah. It took me it took me three days uh, to arrive here finally uh, because we were going by car and it uh, got broken in the middle of a journey. So, yeah, quite, uh, quite a long trip. <laughs> well, we're going to start today off with some bright, Kind of like a um, mental health cleanser, because we're going to talk about some really heavy stuff in our interview today. Mm -hmm. So let's start with something light. It's summer. It's like the heart of summer. What does human margarita love the most about summer? Oh, yeah, that's already a hard question because uh, like I love to travel and I love to go to nature and I love to camping and stuff. But uh, now in in Ukraine, it's a bit... uh, uh, it became complicated and uh, it's a big pain of mine that uh, our nature is being destroyed and uh, yeah we don't have an access to the sea right now uh, and uh, like the south uh, of Ukraine where I'm from uh, is occupied at the moment yeah it's crazy <laughs> so like wow. in summer yeah before the war we would go camping with our friends uh, we had festivals in nature next to Kiev so you were a camper at festivals. Yes, yes. Are you are you a prepared camper at festivals? I'm I'm usually the one that brings the baby wipes and extra sunscreen and Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I learned this stuff. <laughs> yeah, gosh, I I really miss these times, but I hope uh I hope uh, we can do that soon. Um I ask because you're definitely an organizer. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes uh, the person who throws the party, the promoter, they're also the good person to camp with because they've thought of everything. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, you learn to think about everything to then make your experience better. The same with events uh, over the, uh, like, more experience you have, more details you take in consideration. Well, we, another reason why we had you in is because you wrote this incredible article uh, in the early part of the year for a resident advisor that kind of gave a who's who of who you think that the world should be listening to who's been producing music since the war broke out in Ukraine. And obviously a lot of them were producing before, but the article talked about how things have changed and what the focus of the music is and how it's changed and even some of the politics behind it. And I think it's uh, you know interesting that you're actually coming to Berlin to play versus a lot of artists uh, are already in Berlin because mm -hmm. they've um, chosen or have against their own will had to leave Ukraine. And uh, you, on the other hand, have done a flip. Yes. When the war started, I fled to Berlin. Uh, it was really scary in Kiev and Russian tanks were around the city and um, we didn't uh, know what the future would uh, look like. Uh, and at first, I didn't want uh, to. Um, I didn't want to go out of Ukraine, uh, but then I decided to do that uh, because my family was going out, uh, and it was easier to go together. So for some time, uh, I was based in Berlin, uh, but uh, starting from May uh, 2022, uh, I first uh, got back to Kiev when it became a bit more. Um, a bit more uh, safe to go back and I was going back uh, and forth uh, all the time uh, until I finally decided that uh, I'm ready to move back and uh, for me it's it was a really important um, decision because it's still unsafe uh, we still have Russian rockets flying around our heads uh, and uh, just like yesterday night, uh, again, we had uh, debris uh, falling on uh, um, residential areas in Kiev. But for me, it's much more important to be at home. Like, the feeling of safety here would not ever um, be more pleasant than being at home, you know? I remember before the war, uh, there were a lot of my queer friends who were getting on cheap planes to come to Ukraine for the weekend because they were booking younger queer artists from Berlin for, for new parties there. And so I'm sure that was also a part of the excitement of that time. Yeah, sure. It's uh, because uh, we, we have this uh, problem, we have this fight uh, for equality. Uh, so um, this is... One of the things that electronic music community, like how it can change the society. And uh, it's very exciting that uh, we are, it's not only about music, it was always uh, political. And uh, uh, it's about your responsibility, how you can change, um, how you can change uh, what surrounds you, you know. So, yeah, this feeling of openness and um Kind of, yeah, safety. I think it's a, a great point to in the conversation to talk about how you had this job. There was, it felt like things were 
going in one direction and then the war started. And you mentioned to me how you weren't necessarily ready or you didn't think that your next job was to become like almost a political journalist as a part of being a city manager for RA now that the war had broken out. Um, yeah, the thing is, yes, before the war, uh, our... Uh, our electronic scene was uh, like it was so exciting to watch it grow and new places open and new festivals and it was just becoming bigger and bigger uh, and we had more people coming in from different countries um, but yeah this uh, when the war started everyone realized that we have a responsibility to talk about what's going on um, And, uh, you know, my social bubble is really politically active. And even before the war, like, if we need to change something, we would go to the protest, we would talk about it, we would do something, we would not just let things happen. So it it just became, uh, you know, when you have inner problems in your country, it's different than when you, like face the threat of extension <laughs> uh, because of invasion of another country. And now you have to also prove your point uh, to the world because uh, Russian propaganda is really um, strong. Uh, they know how to how to bring their narratives everywhere. And um, we have to oppose it. As the war um, continues on, and as an artist who's moved back to Ukraine, I'm sure you're very close to this conversation and where it's evolved, where, you know, maybe in the beginning, there was a lot of press for our, these compilations that were coming out and these fundraisers. And as things become different, like you said, where at some point you felt it was a little bit safer for you to move back and to organize, and as um, events organize um, back home and in other cities. Where is the conversation now? How would you explain what the focus of the movement is in the music scene right now? Well, it's still about the same things. It's, yeah, for example, people should not forget what's going on uh, and it doesn't make things easier. Uh, so still this responsibility is the main thing and Only we can make changes, you know. So yeah, for us now, it's important to talk about this. It's important to bring this topic because these international artists are quite uh, famous and they play in Europe and they play in the world. And the question is, uh, should these people who are politically, um, what's the word, not even politically unaware, but so... Like not, uh, I guess uh, not caring about this yeah. at all. Like, sh should should they should they really perform? Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a really interesting point, and I wonder how, on the flip side, um, younger people that you are organizing with and um, maybe highlighting as a part of the work that you do as a journalist, or even bringing uh, to events to play with you. They, they must be seeing very, very quickly how important it is as an artist uh, to represent yourself outside of the music. And I wonder if um, there are some younger scenes that we might not know about, younger artists that are starting collectives. I know you started some collectives. Yeah, so the 
seen in Kiev and in Ukraine is uh, uh, developing uh, even in these circumstances. Uh, and we just uh, realized after some time that, uh, you know, we cannot stop living. We cannot stop doing what we did. And uh, we still need to come together and to dance and to bring this culture and to develop it. Because, you know, uh, sometimes there are conversations that culture is uh, not on time because we have much, like, much more serious problems. But then I'm thinking, like, what if war goes for five years and you have culture in stagnation and if we win the war but our culture is not like progressing yeah like where would it be what where would we end up if we wouldn't um yeah if we wouldn't work on that now uh so that's one of the positive things that i uh that i see in our scene that we have uh, a lot of uh younger collective and uh for example stashka uh, is uh uh they emerged in the wartime uh and uh it's a, a queer party which is quite exciting uh and they're like the amazing organizers uh so yeah it it's always a pleasure and uh, we have um uh, uh, collectives that existed before but that are developing now like virtuha um is become a very interesting party where they have Uh, my favorite, like, uh, Vogue balls. Oh, amazing. So this culture is really uh, growing. And, uh, uh, yeah, I also founded Cuticore in September last year. Uh, Love that is... name, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Cuticore. Yeah, I was thinking about this name for a long time. It's a good one. Um, yeah, uh, so it's a feminist collective. Uh, which brings the topic of gender equality in the scene, uh, or should I say gender inequality, because that's what we have now, and that's uh, what we are trying to work on. And uh, in our plans, uh, uh, in collaboration with K41, is to organize more workshops for young people who want to, uh, who want to develop musically, so to help them... Um, you know, have this, like, enter into scene. And um, it's really exciting. Um, do you yeah, find... I really hope that uh, it will help. Do you find that people are... who normally might have been more resistant to this kind of programming when it comes to, like, a more feminist approach to dance music lineups and a more uh, queer approach to nightlife, creating safe spaces. Do you find that uh, in the last year and a half, people have been more receptive to this or has it um, been the same or you kind of understand what I'm getting at? Yeah, I mean, the situation became uh, much more complicated with uh, with the war. First, we have... Uh, Like, men cannot leave the country. Uh, so a lot of women uh, fled. And uh, when we we had, like, you know, the gender inequality which we had in a scene before the war is now even bigger because more uh, female artists uh, fled. And um, uh, men have to go to the army to protect uh, the country. Uh, which makes this topic very, very complicated. Um, 
But yeah, uh, having this context in mind, I still, I still understand that there's a lot of artists, like uh, queer and female artists in in Ukraine and in Kiev, who would want to do that, but they don't have enough courage. They don't have someone who would help, who would help them. And also, what I noticed is that before the war, you know, we had a lot of festivals, we had a lot of uh, uh, a lot of events where you can go and um, like when you're a young person and you don't know what to do and how to do that you can go and volunteer you can go and learn something you can go meet people who will help you to understand uh, what you want to do and uh, teach you the things but now I think about the youth and recently I um, I met this girl who just turned 18 um, at the rave like at the day rave <laughs> Uh, I met this girl and I realized that her rave use is like it started with uh, Corona in 2020 and now the war. So I'm afraid this, this generation could be lost because of what's going on and they need support. Yeah, that's that's so incredibly touching to hear in the way that you've laid it out but also it just uh you're so brave <laughs> you're you're like taking on some really complex and um very entrenched ideas uh at a time when honestly it's uh like you said day to day and uh i think that that's uh just something a lot of people can look up to. So I hope that 18-year-old that you met not only sees that maybe there are some uh, DJ workshops, but also that they've got a, a living legend that might be might be putting them on for them. The Kiev like dance music scene and the Ukrainian like rave music scene before the war, I, I remember it was very after hours. I knew the people that were going were like, oh yeah, we're going to party for two days. And that's changed. There There is a curfew that everyone has to abide by now. Now we have curfew starting from 12, uh, from midnight. So all the parties finish uh, at uh, 10 or like latest 10.30. Uh, and uh, that's what everything is used to now. Uh, so you just start, you just have the day parties all the time. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, this is like a shorter but concentrated time. Uh, then you go sleep at night. And uh, I also was curious to have an update from one of the artists in the article that you penned for RA about different musicians creating music um, during the war. And it was the first person I believe you mentioned, which was John Object. Mm -hmm. And the album is called Life. Yes. And there's this uh, beautiful photo of the artist sitting in front of his laptop, presumably where he was making his music uh, in his army fatigues because he uh, had to join the army. And a year and a half later, do you, do you have any updates about John Object and his music? I have uh, many more friends who are musicians, promoters and um, producers who have joined the army uh, and uh, they are just incredible heroes uh, who we are um, so grateful for because they basically saving our lives uh, and I just hope that they have um, I hope that they will have 
the um, ability to create again soon. That is a beautiful sentiment for us to leave off our wonderful interview with you today, Human Margarita. Thank you so much for spending three days to traverse <laughs> the 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 roads and a broken down van with friends to make it to Berlin to play this incredible fundraiser today at Elsa and to bring us some news from your scene direct. Thank you so much. It was really nice to talk to you. Speaking of Berlin, remember when we talked about this? The Senate's Department of Health announced a so-called drug testing project in the city with three locations where anyone can get substances like marijuana, hash, cocaine, ecstasy, and speed tested to analyze the ingredients and detect impurities. Well, after three months of testing now, the results are finally in. According to public broadcasting service RBB, testing centers have examined 428 samples. Although this number seems small, in my opinion, the results show how important this service actually is. Apparently, between 30 and 50% of the samples that were tested resulted in a warning status. That means the drugs that were tested were either mislabeled or way stronger than they should be. There's a website that includes photos of everything they've tested and the information about what it actually is in comparison to what it's being sold as. So we'll put a link in the show notes for all of you who want to stay informed. Take care out there. Take care of yourself and each other. Fire Festival returns for real this time. On the lighter side of things, yes, Fire Festival is coming back. Who of you remembers the Netflix documentary? I sure do. To those of you who have not watched it, check out The Greatest Party That Never Happened and be prepared for some high-class entertainment. Anyways, Fire was an island festival meant to be a beautiful beacon for the world's most celebrated clout chasers and Instagram influencers in 2017. Wow, it's been that long. They promoted the whole thing heavily on social media and meant to encourage major FOMO. They also actually sold tickets for a huge amount of money, but the festival never actually happened and ended in a full-on disaster. There were endless memes about the chaotic conditions, and there were viral photos of terrible cheese sandwiches. The main scammer behind fire was Billy McFarlane, though some people may also hold his collaborator Ja Rule responsible, but Billy actually went to prison for wire fraud in connection with the festival. Now he's out of prison, and with seemingly no shame, he has announced yet another fire festival, promising this time it will actually take place. I mean, listen to Billy. The tickets sold out really, really fast. He's talking about the first 100 pre-sale tickets, so better be quick. Even though the festival isn't meant to happen until December 2024, there's supposed to be a huge waiting list, if you believe McFarlane, at least. And the remaining tickets range in price from $799 to $7,999. That's a lot of cheese sandwiches. You have to love that people are buying tickets to a meme festival at this point. Like, these festival tickets are as useful as an NFT. But please, if someone listening goes, I am a size large t-shirt. Climate activists block road to Burning Man. One legendary festival I'd happily take a free press trip to is Burning Man, even though I've already got nine visits under my belt. Burning Man kicked off last Sunday, and on the first day, this iconic celebration collided with a passionate protest. 
This year brought out protesters from Extinction Rebellion, Declare Emergency, Rave Revolution, and Scientist Rebellion, blocking the massive traffic jam of festival goers trying to get to the playa. Journalist Michelle Luke was a witness to that blockade and reported on Twitter that the activists were demanding that Burning Man ban private jets and single-use plastics. People were pissed. Michelle also reported that the demonstration was eventually broken up by Nevada Rangers driving straight through the protesters. I saw the video, it was insane. Get out now! Get out! On the ground! All of you on the ground now! We're environmental protesters! It was a tense situation that highlighted the distance between the event's supposed radical politics and the response by its actual attendees. Burning Man has a long history encouraging radical self-reliance and the pursuit of new social possibilities through community and artistic expression. But a lot of people would disagree with that description, especially given how the festival has been affected by the presence of people from Silicon Valley and their techno-optimism. As a burner myself, I've been a first-hand witness to these changes in the crowd and Burning Man culture, and the ticket prices too. It was $280 my first year in comparison to the $575 price tag in 2023. We'll be paying a lot more attention to stories coming out of Burning Man in the next couple weeks, but from tomorrow on, you can also stay tuned by checking out the official live stream of the event. We'll drop a link in the show notes. Shady support for concert ticket reforms. My absolute least favorite part of being a live music fan has to be when a concert is being ticketed through Ticketmaster or one of the other evil giant ticketing companies. And even if you have the money, you have to get past the Live Nation or Ticketmaster queues and all the bots in the line first. A lot of companies have made public statements about how they want to fix the ticketing model to better benefit fans and artists. But Pitchfork has recently reported that a number of these so-called fan advocacy efforts aren't so fan-focused to begin with. Big surprise. In the U.S., the Ticket Buyer Bill of Rights Coalition, what a name, is made up of five members that have all received money from the businesses that generate revenue from ticket resales. And still, they want to continue to advocate for the rights to resell tickets at any price. Others, like the Fan Freedom Project or the Sports Fans Coalition, are actually funded by one of the biggest resale platforms called StubHub. The point here is that no one really knows what's going on in the ticketing business. People pay whatever prices the site set without knowing much about how they reach those numbers to begin with. And these groups that are claiming to be on the side of fans and artists seem to just want to continue to encourage the inflammatory secondary market that jacks up ticket prices even further. The best way to avoid all of this? Support artists and independent venues as much as you can and keep your hard-earned cash out of the hands of Live Nation and others. And don't be a resale jerk online. So, for avid listeners, you know the end of our show is recommendation time. In this part of the podcast, we want to give you something to look forward to for your upcoming weekend, besides maybe the Burning Man live stream. This week, I highly recommend that you watch the new Wham! documentary. It's directed by Chris Smith, who also created one of the Fire Festival documentaries. The documentary creates like a narrative of the 1980s UK pop group responsible for hits like Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, Club Tropicana, and Last Christmas. Last week, I threw the doc on for a laugh only to find myself fully sucked in. I found it so heartwarming, the history of George Michael and his childhood best friend, Andrew Ridgely. They told it so well. 
Both George and Andrew's voices carry us from the beginning to the end of the film. The filmmakers are careful not to pit the two unnecessarily against each other, and rather, viewers are walking away understanding how difficult and admirable it was for these two chosen brothers to continue to honor each other as the tabloids and music industry try to pressure them apart. A Wham! fan or not, it is undeniably fun to witness how the colorful and merch-crazy Western pop music machine blossomed under this musical duo that only existed for four years. You can find the link to Wham! the documentary, which is on Netflix, in the show notes, of course. So that's all for the week this week. Thank you for locking in. We are back here next Thursday. Take care and remember to stop scrolling. The Week is a production by Telecom Electronic Beats and ACB Stories. 